list. Uh, it's unavailable. Uh, busy dude. Completely understandable. But I want to put up an episode anyway, so I am going to attempt to just freeball it. And it's very distracting looking at my ugly face and my chibi chins. But I want to see if I can do this as a challenge to myself. This podcast is sponsored by H2O. <sighs> Valence Electrons, baby. So, I don't really know how to do this. I was going to scroll through news on Reddit, but I feel like that's picking at low-hanging fruit. So, let's just go for it. Artificial intelligence. Is that not is that not the new Manhattan Project? In that it 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 possesses the capability, or it is the capability. It is the potential of the capability to rule the world. Now, in I can't remember if it was Dead Hand or Command and Control by Eric Schlosser. The guy who wrote Fast Food Nation. Command and Control is fucking amazing. I always talk about uh, Raven Rock by Garrett M. Graff. I'm trying not to look at the camera because I just see my fucking ugly face. Um, it was either... Maybe if I just turn down the brightness on there. There we go. It was either Raven Rock by Garrett M. Graff or it was... Uh, or it was um, Command and Control by... I think it's Eric M. Schloster. Nice. Two middle names begin with M fucking fun fact um i believe it was uh, command and control but they talked about how you know right when right when we got the atomic bomb um you know obviously it was a fucking race to get it uh we'd send in commandos to nazi germany to make sure they didn't get it they even did some weird cryptic messages where like we'd go in and we'd find their hard water plant or not hard yeah hard water heavy water where they make uh, uh deuterium water I think it's H2O where hydrogen's got an extra neutron, maybe? I don't know. Um, but I, I guess that's one of the like first things you need when you're making a nuclear bomb. I, I wouldn't know. But we thought the Nazis were a lot were a lot further ahead than they actually were. And so we would go in there. We'd send these commandos in there. And they'd either sabotage shit or they'd find it was just like, you know, big dick America had come in and already fucked this place. So we'd do like recon. And I could be butchering all of this. But I'm pretty sure they went in and they found these heavy water plants. And they, they hadn't even mastered that part yet. They had kind of gotten to making deuterium water or deuterium rich water, but not much farther than that. And again, I, I, I don't know how accurate this is, but I'm pretty sure that's like one of the first things you have to do on your path to making a nuclear bomb um and they would send these messages back to america the soldiers you know uh uh what word am i looking for uh reporting back to their command about uh but it was with these weird it was like uh like pregnancy failed like not even brought to term or something which is actually not that secretive. I mean, any I mean, anyone with two fucking brain cells can be like, you're probably talking about the development of, of a program. Um, but, yeah, so we obviously wanted to stop the Nazis from doing it. Now, in 1939, I can't remember who it was, but uh, say what you will about him. He's got a good ghostwriter. Bill O'Reilly's book, Killing the, Killing the Rising Sun, um, 
it begins it, it's the, the whole thing is about the is about the war in the pacific but it's also it's also about uh it's it's you can't really tell that story without telling the story of uh the development of the atom bomb operation uh not operation uh the manhattan project oppenheimer the fucking like closed off labs we had out in the desert and but apparently this guy had come and i think he was a friend of einstein's and this guy came to fdr and said basically hey there's um these guys have the uh the nazis are are working on this new bomb this new weapon and it uses an element called uranium and if they if they master it if they develop a usable bomb um it will turn the tide of the ward <clears throat> and not just in the sense of like the messerschmitt messerschmitt 262 where uh is the first fighter jet the first actual not fighter plane but jet engine um not not in that sense in that it was yes a paradigm shift a quantum leap but it, it also didn't matter because they used the they used the 262s to uh what did they use them for i think they used them i think they used them i can't remember i want to say they used them as bombers and they said had hitler used them as uh had Hitler used them to take out Allied bombers, the war would have gone on indefinitely. So Hitler's also a dumbass, but it was so. But it wasn't something like that. Um, it wasn't even something like uh, the advent of stealth technology with the F one seventeen Nighthawk, uh, or technically the SR seventy one Blackbird had a, had a low RCS, and then after that was the D twenty one drone that was shot off the top of it. Um, this is all from uh, Skunk Works by Ben Rich, former head of uh, Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. This podcast is going to have no general direction. So if, if that's what you're buckling in for, fuck off. Um, but the F-117 Nighthawk had the cross-section, uh, the radar cross-section of a ball bearing, meaning like, so like if you were, if you shoot your radar at an incoming B-52 bomber or a B-36, um, B-52 Stratofortress or a B-36, uh, was the Peacekeeper? Um, God, I love those names. Um Apparently they had the cross section basically looked like on your radar that there was a there was like a barn company like B-A-R-N coming at you And I was like, all right, well, <clears throat> there's clearly something uh, other times uh, like Infamously um, leading up to Pearl Harbor the incoming planes. We thought that they were a flock of birds You know, all right the F-117 had a It had the response it had the 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 cross section of a ball bearing so it anything it, it it's a ball bearing well what the fuck else is bigger than a ball bearing i don't know a bumblebee a butterfly a fucking crow an eagle a you know goddamn blimp it so anything other than that is is it's all gonna be marked as bigger on the radio so this thing was basically invisible now that was that was a big paradigm shift and we used it as such and we recognized it as such because Unlike Hitler with the Messerschmitt 262, he was uh, he was a complete dumb shit and, and didn't and didn't use this new technology in the way that he should have. But um, when we first found, or when the Air Force and the Pentagon finally acknowledged uh, what uh, Ben Rich had done, much in the face of Kelly Johnson, 
was to make this super low cross-section fighter that's called the Hopeless Diamond. When they realized that it just wasn't just like an, uh, an anomaly or just like gremlins in the numbers, when they realized like, holy shit, this fucking thing, like, you look, we really can't see it. Um, they actually, they finally realized just how efficient this thing was at deflecting radar when they were shooting radar at it at a test range and they couldn't detect it. And then a fucking bird landed on the front of it and they detected it. <laughs> and that's and, they, and they're like, oh, there's a bird, and it's like, oh, oh, fuck, we saw the bird, not the, not the Air Force bird. Um, and there's another story, and I've I've been corrected and told that this is just urban legend, but I don't give a shit. I'll propagate lies for my own entertainment. There's a story about how when the F-117s were over in the Middle East before their first sorties, I don't know when they were first used. Um, Apparently, so they're over there. They're super classified. They're SAP Special Access Project. That's above TSSCI Top Secret uh, Special Compartmentalized Information, which is in itself higher than Top Secret, which is higher than Secret, which is higher than Confidential, which is higher than Classified. Uh, so this is an SAP. So n- no one knew about this shit except for a handful of people. So we had, uh, the Manhattan Project was an SAP. Um, so when we had the F-117 Nighthawks over there in a hangar, they um apparently one of them and again been told it's an urban legend i don't care i'm gonna propagate this one live because it entertains me and i want it to be true but apparently they found a bunch of fucking dead bats in the hangar the next morning uh because they couldn't they you know that bitch is blind as a bat it's they they couldn't their fucking sonar wasn't working well they were emitting the fucking sound waves but they were this thing was so good at deflecting any incoming wave light wave radar uh, sound, any fucking wave that was going off in every other direction, these things couldn't see it, and they would just like kamikazes just break their fucking necks. So that's how that's how effective this thing was. And instead of, I think the quote from the book was, instead of instead of putting up multiple fighters to take out one target during a sortie, or sorry, instead of sending up multiple bombers on multiple sorties in hopes of taking out one target. They could now send up one bomber on one sortie to take out multiple targets. So it's a complete paradigm shift in what we were able to do. And that's why it was so secretive. And because America fucking rocks, American flag shout out. That's what that that's how we use this technology. Now, Hitler with the, the Messerschmitt 262s obviously did not do that. Now, let's rewind it back to the atomic bomb. There's a re, there's a there's a logic behind all of this. The atomic bomb was that this. This, so this wasn't like stealth technology because eventually stealth was was counteracted. Um, the Soviet Union was always known for its fucking super advanced, super well-equipped uh, SAM sites. And so eventually they, they, they got a number. They tagged it. They, they you know, so it's, it's just this tit for tat. More stealthy, we detected it. Stealthier more, detected it again. It just goes back and forth. The atomic bomb wasn't... It's like it's like if you're playing a video game and we're both leveling up and it's first it's fists and then it's knives and then it's bats and then someone finally gets a gun like a pistol that gives them a pretty big edge but you can still take them out you can hit them with a car you know, I'm just thinking Grand Theft Auto you can hit them with a car you can fucking if enough people run at them you can take them out but if everyone else just has their fists and you have a fighter jet that's you 
so long as you don't crash the fighter jet, you're pretty much, you are an invincible, unstoppable, unopposable force that you are not at the top of the food chain forever within that microcosm. That's what, stealth was not that. Atomic bombs were that. It was the biggest bomb to date beforehand, I believe, was the British Grand Slam. And I think it weighed 22,000 pounds. And we would drop these motherfuckers from way up. And these, and they would come down and just, they were, I, th- I don't remember what they were designed for. I think we dropped them on some big German ships. But I think that was designed, again, could be butchering this. I think they were designed with the, the Nazi U-boat sub-pens, uh, the submarine pens, where they were literally where they they were held because these things were just like we couldn't stop them we could drop bombs and bombs and bombs and nothing could get through them so we needed this massive fucking thing the grand slam um and this thing was a monster Twenty two thousand pounds well you know that's with the shell let's say it's just for fuck let's be let's be very liberal let's be loose with it it's uh Let's say it's got 20,000 pounds of explosives. Let's say it's a 2,000 pound shell, 20,000 pounds of explosives, 10 tons. 10 ton, we'll call it TNT. 10 tons of TNT. Okay, that's okay. That's a big boom. That's the best that we had, or that's the that was the most advanced one through World War II. Okay, yeah, that's a big fucking bomb. The atomic bomb, the... Now, I don't know what the size of the one was on Trinity, which was July 16th, 1945 at 5.45 a.m. in Alamogordo, New Mexico. Fuck with it. Um, I don't know what the explosive power of that one was, but I know that the one we dropped on Hiroshima was 15 kilotons, and I want to say the one on Nagasaki was 20 kilotons. Now, that's that's not 10 tons of TNT. That's 10 kilotons. 1,000 tons. 10, 1,000 tons. That's fucking insane. Not only that, it's the thermal pulse could just fucking light everything on fire. The 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 overpressure wave could tear shit apart. Uh, the oh, what was that safe company? Um, uh, I don't remember the name of the company. The company that famously put a safe in the desert and put documents in it, and they were uh, they allowed a nuke to be dropped in the vicinity, and. Uh, <clears throat> fucked up the outside of the safe but everything inside was just fine and and they actually became the gold standard for for um for vault doors so that that safe no what it was is that safe that safe was in Tokyo not to fucking Tokyo it was in Hiroshima or Nagasaki and it survived everything else was fucking vaporized but this thing survived and everything inside of it survived there's actually a Twilight Zone episode where where a guy takes his lunch break inside of this bank vault because he you know that's where he can read in peace probably jerk off and he he comes out and the city's been nuked whatever um i want to say it's mauser i don't think that's it though um but this company that made the safe door so after that that was the perfect pr you know what better way than a a post-world war ii america and not only did we bomb the japs we were able to survive you know just just completely incorrect nowadays but They came up after the war. That's what they bragged about. And I think they even got the, the, the Japanese bank owners to whoever, you know, wasn't turned into a, a fucking cloud of uh, uh, stripped electrons. Um, they had them say, like, how great the safe was. And so 
in in the late forties. I don't think um, I don't think it was Operation Crossroads because that was in the Pacific, I believe, in nineteen forty seven. There were two Soviet spies there. This was in the this was in the Nevada test site, Nevada test range. I think at the time it was the Nevada proving grounds. But they would just drop nukes. Just I think they dropped like nine hundred nukes there. They said that the surface of uh, the surface of the entire area was cratered, and that's actually uh, conspiracy time. Well, not this. This isn't conspiracy. This is actually where uh, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and I want to say not Gordon Cooper. Uh, uh, fuck, what was his name? Um, Mitchell something. Mitchell of whatever. Um, that's where they actually trained because that was the closest thing they could find to the lunar surface. And when they were on the moon, one of the transcripts is actually, hey, doesn't this remind you of, and they had names for the craters, but reminded of them of a crater. Point being, we dropped a lot of fucking nukes out there. And the safe company actually put their safe out there and it survived. The overpressure wave ripped off all the decorative iron and stripped away the cement. And uh, it, yeah, it's insanely powerful. And that company actually went on to make all the vault doors for all the huge uh, bunkers. Uh, Raven Rock, Site R, uh, Mount Weather, um, Norad, Cheyenne Mountain. Um, yeah, so that's insane. <clears throat> what the fuck was I getting at? The power of this thing. Yeah, oh yeah, so the th thermal pulse and the, the, the overpressure wave could just fuck up everything. So unless you are a safe door, or behind a safe door, you're fucked up. And we, you know, we could drop them from, you know, we didn't need we didn't need a hundred bombers going, and we didn't need a you really didn't even need to see the target. Now, granted, for Hiroshima, they they the part of the or was it Nagasaki that you had to see the target, and they couldn't see it. They almost uh, fuck. I forget the I forget the they almost bombed a different city, and they ended up bombing Nagasaki because the the cloud cover was so bad. But even that was just because it was the first ones we were dropping. It's the reality is is you don't have to even fucking see what you're near, like. Uh, there's a sign, just, you know, city Atlanta, four miles that way. Fuck, fucking drop it here. It's that the shock wave is still going to just turn organic beings to jelly, and the overpressure wave is going to fucking collapse every structure, and the thermal pulse is going to light everything on fire and then start self-sustaining firestorms. So getting an atomic bomb was there's no one, no one can touch you when you have this, and what and let's say a different country starts developing them. You go fucking drop a nuke on them. They can't smother them in the cradle. They can't. You can't touch them. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go to the bathroom. So I will snip this part out. So you get. You get a nuke. And they can't fucking touch you. No one can touch you. And they start developing it. Let's say I'm the only one with a gun, and you guys realize that you can't take me on, so you start developing your own guns. Well, I'm just looking around, and I see some gunsmiths. I'm just going to walk in there and fucking start shooting, right? <clears throat> That's a great sound clip. Um, with nuclear bombs, it's it's the same thing. Is is Once you have that power, you, you, I mean, you effectively rule. Now, so this is... So back to what I was saying, it's... Um, by uh, in command and control by Eric M. Schlosser, one of the actual one of the post World War II, um, I guess public arguments was, do we just nuke Russia or the Soviet Union? 
because we knew that they were that they were the next foe. I mean, it, look at any history, like uh, 45, we knew the Soviets were going to be, you know, were enemy of my enemy is my friend. Let's take out the Nazis together. Let's take out the Japanese together. But, uh, whoops. But afterwards, we knew we were going to be fighting them. And, but so we had the Soviet. Oh no, we had the Soviet bomb. We had the uh, we had the atom bomb first. No, I don't remember his name. Valenti Beriov, uh, the leader of the KGB, who also oversaw the ruthless pursuit of an atomic bomb, because there were two KGB agents, um, not just at Operation Crossroads in '47, but they were actually in the Manhattan Project as well. I can never remember their names. Um, Klaus Klaus Fuchs, <laughs> great name, Klaus Fuchs. But uh, he got he got the papers for Stalin, or some of the papers, and uh, he was a Soviet sympathizer. Sympathizer. And this, the first Soviet bomb was detonated in 1949, which was years before we thought it was possible because uh, an American sniffer plane sensors, basically like a fucking flying dog, um, had these sensors that could pick up even trace amounts of, you know, insert chemical here. Kind of like a, if you ever have your hands dusted at the airport by the TSA, maybe I'm just a terrorist threat and I thought this was a normal thing, but they can detect trace amounts of this shit. And so what the sniffer plane was doing, I think it was off the coast of Alaska in 1949, and it, and it discovered a, just a, there was a massive cloud of, uh, of irradiated, uh, like vaporized dust. And it was like, well, like we know what bombs were dropping. We, uh, if, and it's not us. Oh, and it's off the coast of Alaska coming from, I don't know, the Soviet Union. So that's how we realized that they had their first bomb, which we called Joe One after Joe Stalin. So cute. Um, so that happened before we thought it was going to happen. But leading up to that point, there was actually a debate, not a classified debate. Do we go and nuke the Soviets? And it, the idea was we do this, we, we kill them all. Uh, no one will ever, no one else, they'll, you know, they'll tell your fucking friends, you know, fuck around and find out. No one else will try to develop nukes because they'll see what, what we do to them. We, uh, we send a lesson. We make a lesson. Make an example. Um, but there was a debate whether or not we just... Do we go and just snuff Russia? Soviet Union. Do we go and snuff them? Do we take them out? Lots of civilians will die. All of them will die. But uh, do we do this? And it preserve, preserve America? Because once they get an atom bomb, the... The power, the power polarity is forever shifted, and you know mutual assured destruction. It was, you know, back then, you know, when our our stockpile was like well, like thirteen a bombs. Even then, it was still like okay, thirteen a bombs. Like that's that's insane. And if we go after the Soviets, if they even get one off New York, D.C., fuck it, Billings, Montana, it, it's still insanely bad. And mind you, they're getting more and more powerful. They're not yet at the megaton level. Hydrogen bombs were, I think the first one was 1952. I could be completely wrong on that. It might be 1950. But that was, um, 
that was Ivy Mike, not not Castle Bravo. Ivy Mike, and I think it was. I think it was five megatons but they're not even that but they're still insanely powerful but once once we knew the soviets would get one the the power polarity was forever altered <clears throat> and so do we go in and do we stuff them do we go in and take them out first and not quite it's not quite like a preemptive it's not like in my opinion it's not like sending over the CIA SAD, Special Activities Division, SOG, Special Operations Group, SADSOG. It's not like that, or, you know, see, you know, like vaporizing General Salami in January, or going in, you know, it's, let's say we knew Bin Laden was gonna do 9-11, which, that's not the scope of this podcast, but let's say we did. It's not like going over and killing him, and that will prevent this. This was, like if we don't, that's like if we don't go kill him, Bin Laden, maybe nine eleven will won't happen. If we don't go take out the Soviet Union and prevent them acquiring the atom bomb, it it, it can now never be done. It's you know once the offer's off the table, the offer's off the table, and you can take them out afterwards, but it goes into a whole new scope of mutual assured destructions, relocation arcs, bunkers, radiation, continuity of government, continuity of constitution, continuity of uh, democracy, really continuity of species. How do we, it, it turns into a whole, an infinitely more complex ball game. It's, it's like, it's easier to not send the drunk text than it is to send the drunk text and then fucking dance around it the next day and either whip up a story or either beg for forgiveness or, you know, <clears throat> so that was that was a legitimate uh, debate. Whether are we going to go fucking just take out the Soviet Union? And we ultimately didn't. And ironically enough, there's actually this pacifist, this famous pacifist. I can't fucking remember. <sighs> I don't even know who it is. So I'm not even going to guess at it. Actually, I'm going to guess that I think it's Bertrand Russell, but I really don't think that's who it was. But it was a, as a pacifist who after a story came out in the New York Times about uh, what happened at Hiroshima and like the true stories put faces on these people they're not just over there they're not just the others uh, you know there's a lot of like not backlash relative for the time anyone questioning Uncle Sam and apparently this one guy again this is all in command and control Apparently he came out and was like, we should never do this. Like, harumph, harumph, harumph. Like, war is for savages. You know, very easy to talk about when you're not over in fucking Guadalcanal and, you know, your fucking femoral arteries bleeding out on the white sands. You know? <clears throat> but then when it came out that the uh, the Soviets might or probably would, uh, will eventually, if not already, have an atomic bomb... <laughs> This guy actually came out. This fucking pacifist came out and was like, "It's the right thing to do to go carpet nuke them." <laughs> it's just so funny when it fucking comes home to your front door. Um, obviously, we didn't do this, and yeah, it's undeniably for the better that we didn't. We didn't kill all those people. You know, we both text, te tested nukes until sixty-three with the non-proliferation treaty but after that they went underground and then after that they 
they we just that's what we use supercomputers for. Um, that is that is what whoever's listening for this go look it up. That's that's what we use supercomputers for. The Pentagon and the Department of Defense have the most. They get the they get either all the time or like ninety nine point nine percent of the time with these soup these massive petaflop exaflop supercomputers and what do we use them for <laughs> simulating nuclear explosions on enemy cities <laughs> like cancer no fuck that coronavirus fuck that nukes and but ultimately you could say that it, it not not that you could say it was it's undeniably for the better that we didn't do that because the cold war never got hot got pretty fucking close it was edging it was edging it was flirting but no one ever nutted no one ever nuclear nutted and I mean, who knows what would happen if we had carpet nuke them? I mean, how well did we understand radiation then? How well did we understand radiation getting into the the uh, the food chain, the carbon cycle, the uh, global jet streams? Um, that's one of the, with Castle Bravo, the fifteen megaton one that they thought was going to be five megaton, or maybe they thought it was going to be eight megatons. Regardless, it was fucking massive. It, was, it ended up being a thousand times stronger than the one dropped on Hiroshima. It blew up something like a hundred million tons of vaporized coral into the upper atmosphere, which was then taken by the global jet streams and deposited on every corner of the earth. And uh, yeah, so, you know, I don't know how well we understood that at the time. Um, so, you know things could be infinitely worse and just from the obvious one well we didn't have to go take out this entire nation of because the vast majority of them were just people they're just they weren't the politburo they weren't the commanding they weren't their command and control it wasn't their pentagon you know it wasn't the kremlin it wasn't the kgb it wasn't volunteer Berryoff and company it was just fucking soviet it was just it was just you and me but over there um and that was one of the things uh, under one of the first U-2 flights that came back and uh, it had the ability to photograph, I mean, however, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of square miles of Soviet territory in an afternoon and bring back <clears throat> unprecedented, unparalleled uh, data in the form of, of high resolution imagery back to the White House in, you know, hour or I don't want to say hours, I want to say maybe days because it wasn't until the wasn't until the Corona satellites or the Keyhole satellites that we, we we could take pictures and then shoot them from the satellite. They'd re-enter and then they'd deploy a parachute and then a plane would go pick them up from the air, which is fucking insane. Um, but one of the things with the U two the first U two flights was that uh, I don't know if it was Eisenhower who said it or if it was one of the the uh, imagery analysts said like no it's you know, the vast majority of the imagery we're, we're looking over, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not hundreds of thousands of war, you know, of, of fighting age men marching in the streets. It's like, no, it was like people like milking their cows, like <laughs> fixing a wagon wheel, just walking. <laughs> it was just, <clears throat> so yeah, it's good that we didn't do that because it would have been an unnecessary slaughter. And who knows, you know, we know that their first bomb was in 49 but what if we didn't know that and we go to fucking carpet nuke them to take them out before they can have a nuke to fight back and the reality is they already have a nuke to fight back so we end up 
setting off the chain of events that we are hoping to prevent. Um, some like Oedipus complex shit, but with fission bombs. Um, so yeah, this whole thing, this whole batshit insane rant, which the vast majority of it is actually factually correct. Um, read Area 51 by Annie Jacobson. Read Command and Control by Eric M. Schlosser. Raven Rock by Garrett M. Graff. Uh, Dead, the Dead Hand. Um, Skunk Works by Ben Rich. Um, I don't know about other ones. Um, maybe Into the Black. The Space Shuttle. Killing the SS. Um, killing the Rising Sun. Yeah, the vast majority of what I said is factual. I'm going to skewed some of it up a little bit, but yeah, what are you going to do? Um, so this all comes back to an advance in technology, like the Messerschmitt 262 or the uh, F-117 Nighthawk. Jet, <clears throat> jet engine versus uh, versus uh, stealth. God. Like a pimp on the inside of my lip. Jesus. Um, we have those t- kind of jumps in, in military uh, power, weaponry, technology, armaments, advancements. And then you have the nuclear bomb. There, Nothing has come close to the quantum leap. Now, let's say we had just decided, fuck it, from, you know, we're going from... We're going from Japanese homeland to we're just jumping straight into the Soviet Union and nuke them. We could have done that. We know for a fact they didn't have a bomb. They actually, they already had some working, uh, well, they, well, they had they had direct uh, espionage attained data from the Manhattan Project. But they didn't have a working bomb. We could have gone in and done that. Yeah, we could have... Uh, we could have taken out the whole world. I think it was Harry Harry Truman, Harry S. Truman. His middle name is actually just S. It's not fun fact. Um, that's from Raven Rock by Garrett M. Graff. Shout out. Um, I want a piece of your sales, dude. I, I fucking I eat your book during every podcast. <clears throat> I think it was Harry Truman. He might have had both quotes, but one of them was, boy, we could, you know, boy, we could blow a hole clean through the earth with these. And the next was, uh, boy, we could lick the whole planet if we had Hitler's attitude. So, for all you motherfuckers that are out there saying that we shouldn't have dropped the nukes on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, when we only did it because we're evil, if we were really evil, we would have licked the world and said, fuck all y'all. So, that's my two cents on that. Um, But, we could have done it, and we didn't. And it's, I would say you cannot argue that it is bad that we didn't do it. It's it's great that we didn't do it. Um, playing devil's advocate against myself, you could then use that same logic against the, the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings and say, you know, how do you not know it would be great that we didn't do it? So, right, I will, I will, I'll eat a big old slice of humble pie in that one. Um, but we could have done it. And we didn't. And after that, it became pretty much impossible to do it. I mean, granted, you have bunkers, you have, you know, relocation to VIPs, you have, uh, obviously, you have lines of succession, patterns of government, 
uh, where it's not so much the people that it is the positions. But let's say we didn't do that. Or sorry, no, let's, yes, we didn't do it with A-bombs. Well, there hasn't really been a paradigm shift or a quantum leap like that since. I mean, some other big ones, you could argue the submarine, um, flight, but even then, uh, yeah, I don't know. You guess you could, you, you we used, um, we used biplanes to, to do reconnaissance in World War One. uh, Dan Carlin talks about that in, um, Blueprints for Armageddon. Um, we used, there were hot air balloons. The Union, the Union actually used hot air balloons against the Confederates. And I think that was the first case of aerial surveillance. Fucking went up there with their big stupid mustaches and itchy cotton pants and fucking like silver nitrate fueled cameras and <sighs> bollocks, there they are. That, that was like a 20s accident. That was terrible. <clears throat> but that those were, Jesus, and I spit on my screen. That's gross. Get your act together, Tom. But. None of those were, to my knowledge, none of those were these like single-handed paradigm-shifting things. I think there were hot air balloons used back to the 1700s in France. Um, I mean, there's no like first boat, or there was, but it wasn't like an, it wasn't like a Nagasaki or a Hiroshima event or a Trinity test on July 16th, 1945, in Alamogordo, New Mexico, at 5:45 a.m. There, there really has never been a leap in it's like as time goes on we make these incremental changes I have a three of hearts and then you get a four of hearts and then I get a five of spades clubs whatever diamonds every once in a while you have something like the Messerschmitt 262 engine Maybe that's like a nine of hearts, but really, if you don't use it well, it, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> Let's say you have a, you get a face card, you get a, you know, you get a, you get a jack or something, and that's maybe that's stealth. And even that, it's like you can only use it so much before its use negates its secrecy, which is, I'm not well educated enough to to say what negates the use of stealth or what uh equal to play level to playing field <clears throat> but the a bomb was it, it wasn't that you went we went from actually let's say let's say stealth was a 10 so the measurement 262 was a nine of hearts stealth was a 10 it's not that an a bomb was a jack there are there were no jacks queens kings an A-bomb was an ace. Just an ace. I don't care what you have. Fuck you. I have an ace. I have four aces. I have a royal flush. I have shit that you can't even think about. Um, there hasn't really been, to my knowledge, a development of something like that. You could argue, well, argue against myself, because clearly I'm sane. You could have chemical warfare. You could have biological warfare. You could definitely have huge quantum leaps in that. I don't know, some aerosolized uh, 
Ebola, smallpox, coronavirus. But even that, that still lends itself to it. Nothing has the immediate and overwhelming and undeniably oppressive and winning move as a thermal pulse, the radiation, the radiation contamination, uh, and the and the, the overpressure shockwave. It, nothing else is like that. You could, let's say, you developed a really awesome relative. Uh, chemical or biological bomb um, Operation Paperclip another great one by Annie Jacob, Jacobson you know let's say we used uh, oh, what was that fucking gas they Terran Terran gas Ta- Lair- I think it was T- T- Talman T- Taman Terran it's something that the Nazis developed that was insane. It could fucking kill shit so much quicker than even like Zycon B or chlorine gas. <clears throat> and you needed less of it to kill more. And then after that, I believe it was sarin gas was the next big one. And then after that, it was VX gas, which declassified at least, I believe, is still the most deadly um, chemical warfare agent. Um, obviously, you have the you have you have shit like plutonium, but I mean, you're not you're not really using that as for the that goes back to okay no so even the most even the most deadly per kilogram of living matter plutonium is still the most deadly and and that that comes that comes standard with your a bomb that comes standard with automatic windows air conditioning and plutonium poisoning but that so th- th- i'm just i'm proving myself wrong it's nothing fucking holds a candle to an a bomb and so, but let's say even you, let's say you're the Soviets, it's 1945, you know, America's going to come over and fucking lick you, lick the world, in the words of Farius Truman. But maybe you, you know, maybe you jumped the gun with Operation Paperclip, you got all these, you know, you got Dr. Bloma, uh, you got, who else, Otto Ambrose, let's say you got all those fucking high-ranking Nazis, those geniuses. And whereas, let's say, whereas we got Arthur Rudolph and Verna von Braun, let's just say you got a hand. I mean, we ended up getting all of them because fucking America, or most of them. I think we got two thirds of them. But let's say we, let's just say we just get the rocket guys. We get Verna von Braun, we get Arthur Rudolph. Um, and so we get the rockets and we have our A-bombs and uh, so we're mastering that side. But let's say the German, let's say the, the Soviets get all the chemical ones. Let's say they make some sarin gas, VX gas, or fuck, what is it? Terran? Terran. Talum? Whatever it is. And they get that. Yes, you could still wipe out a ton of America. Bring over some Soviet ships, lob, lob artillery shells over, or Soviet bombers, or even just, you know, KGB agents. I gotta be again. So, let's say you're the Soviets, and you create this VX gas, t- sarin gas, uh, Tarrant, fuck. Tabin, Tabin, Tabin gas, that's it. Yeah, Tabin, that's what it is. It's a chemical, yeah. Oh, shit. And you're going to go... 
dispersed in the United States through either ship-fired artillery or airborne canisters or just, you know, agents on the ground. Sure, you could do that, and sure, you could kill a lot of people, maybe a ton of people, maybe maybe over half of the people. But even though you don't have nuclear bombs and the other guy does, like, mutual assured destruction is still coming. Like, you're, you're done. You may have bunkers to survive, or you may have uh, uh, vaccines or antidotes for for the gas you just released. You're not going to survive an atomic blitz, like Curtis Lemay's Sunday Punch. So America, we we could have licked the world in 1945, but we didn't. You know the submarine stealth the ME-262 those were all those were all jumps in card numbers 4 of hearts, 5 of hearts, 6 of hearts none of them were an ace <clears throat> the atomic bomb was the ace even the jump to the hydrogen bomb <sighs> hydrogen bombs are different because they had a built in policy of extermination per, per classified papers it's a built-in policy of population extermination. It is, don't need to worry about hitting the, the military targets, just hit everything. Um, <clears throat> and the Soviets got theirs eventually, and we Truman only gave the go-ahead to, to make ours because it was, if we can do it, the Soviets can do it, and if we don't do it, the Soviets will do it, and the, the military, the upper echelon military reasoning at the time was this is a at the Soviet. This was this is a an atheist nation. They they are not going to stop on a moral basis. So we cannot. Doesn't mean we have to drop it, but it's good that we have it because if we don't, the Soviets will make it, and the Soviets will drop one on an American city. These things are thousands of times more powerful than atomic bombs. <clears throat> so even the, but so even the hydrogen bomb, fusion bombs. By then, the Soviets already had an atomic bomb, and we could have killed them more. But at the, but at that point, what is more? They kill eighty percent of us, and we kill ninety nine percent of them. What what is and the entire planet's fucked. What what is what is winning at that point? Um. <clears throat> so, even that. That was not a, a quantum leap, like the development of the atom bomb was before anyone else had one. I don't think that, again, declassified, even Reagan's Star, uh, Star Wars, uh, strategic, was it, was it Strategic Defense Initiative, Space Defense Initiative, um, SDI, even that, that's still... Even like what Curtis LeMay said back in the 50s and 60s was through all of his experiences as uh, the one who literally like, planned out but also physically led uh, uh, these mass bombing raids on uh, Jap Japanese civilian targets, he said no matter what, one bomber always gets through. Now when you're dropping 500-pound bombs or... Um, those incendiary like uh, cluster pipe things. One gets through and it's it's bad, but it's not the same as 
it's not the same as 2,000 dropping them. But when your payload is a fission bomb, the gun type or implosion type bomb, uranium or plutonium bomb, you only need to get one plane through, and it only needs to drop one of its bombs. And the, the effect can be devastating. Um, so, so LeMay said, you know, with our, with our nuclear bombers, we only need to get one through. But then the same thing goes in reverse. They only need to get one through. Um, with, so with the strategic defense initiative, it's, so we have this thing, let's say it can shoot down, uh, say it can shoot down 90% of incoming ICBMs, which would be insane. That would be insanely successful. Let's just, for shits and giggles, say the Soviets launched 10,000 ICBMs. That still leaves 1,000 ICBMs that got through. Each ICBM contains multiple warheads, multiple independent reentry vehicles. It's like a nuclear shotgun. Each warhead contains a multi-megaton uh, bomb. Each one of those thousands of times more powerful than the one dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So, sure, on paper you get ninety percent of of all incoming ICBMs, but what the fuck does that really even mean? It it's still extermination. One thousand ICBMs with multiple independent reentry vehicles, each one a multi megatonnage uh, warhead. There's no that you're still done. So even something like the Strategic Defense Initiative, which I don't think we even really ever even had like semi-operational, the the technology was just we didn't have it at the time. Um, we had things like the uh, the Shiva Star, um, which was a thing that would discharge balls of plasma at like ten percent the speed of light to shoot down uh, ICBMs. But even that, it was I think we we're going to use Kasaba, C A S A B A howitzers. It's basically a nuclear shape charge. We would have launched them up. They would have detonated, and it was a one-time use. But it would, it would focus. I think the light, or the the particle wave, it would focus it into a beam, and that's what it would use to uh, shoot down all these incoming nukes. And I think one could take out multiple targets. So it's not that we're hurling this nuke up at other nukes so much as we are, but the, it's not the explosion that's taking the shit out. It's the <clears throat> the focused beam. But even that, it, it wasn't perfect. So what is the next quantum leap? What is the equivalent of the atom bomb? And it's artificial intelligence. There's nothing, because much like the atom bomb, it seems like once you hit the threshold, once you hit the threshold where it becomes as smart as a human researcher, a human researcher that helped develop it, you basically now have another human researcher, right? And it uh, it doesn't require a paycheck, it doesn't require uh, bathroom breaks, it doesn't unionize, and it can work through the night and it does not get burned out. And there's nothing stopping you from just copying it and having a second one, and a third one, and a fiftieth one, and a four millionth one. So, 
and and what can it do? Well, you're, you don't need to invent the first. Uh, you don't need to invent the AI that's as smart as a human researcher anymore because you've already done that. So now you have these things that you already know how to do it. So now you have these things that are as smart. So now you can start working on the next one. The next one is the first one that will ever be smarter than us. And you make that one. And then you copy that one. One, two, three, fifty, ten million. And now that one starts working on... So now we're on the second generation. Now that one starts working on the third generation. So the first generation was as smart as us. The second generation, which we could still use all our human researchers for, as well as our, our copy machines, they build the our copy machine, our first generation machines, them and the humans. The humans build the first generation, which are as smart. The humans and the first generation build the second generation, which are smarter. The second generation, this is a this is a unique spot because it now is almost the sole developer of the third generation, which is smarter than it, which it is smarter than the humans in the first generation. And then it's just third makes the fourth, fourth makes the fifth, fifth makes, you can count. And the time between each generation gets shorter and the relative jump in intelligence or capabilities or processing power gets bigger. And so it's not just that you have to have the same memory as the human brain or the same processing power. Again, it's like the Messerschmitt 262 engine. It's, it's not that you get the quantum leap in. That, that is a, a prerequisite. You have, to get the, you have to get the quantum leap in the technology. But if you don't use it correctly, it's not, it, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't make as big as a splash. Like we did with the F-117, it did make a big splash. So it's not just that you have to have equal computing power and memory as the human brain. It's... We also have to make something that is organized in such a way that it is as powerful as the human brain. Because if you just get the same memory and processing power, that doesn't equate to a human brain. If you just get the same number of football players, the same size with the same stats, the same NFL combine data, it doesn't matter if I'm coaching it versus Bill Belichick, okay? So once we finally get the first one that's as smart as this, right? The next step isn't necessarily, because we already know how to increase memory and increase processing power. So the next step isn't necessarily that, even though that will be something that happens with it. It'll be the development of a mind that is more powerful than us, which we could probably do. We can look at ours and say, how do we make it better? But now that second generation one, which has now had not just has more memory and more processing power than us, but actually has a different structure entirely it's it's synthetic brain it can now create a third generation of a of a brain anatomy if you will that is uh superior to even ours or to its and the third one makes it and all the while the processing power and the memory is going up but it's also it's starting to develop these systems that soon we cannot grasp. It is my dog trying to learn calculus, for that matter, me trying to learn calculus. So it goes and accelerates and accelerates and accelerates and it can copy itself and duplicate itself. It becomes more powerful while at the same time requiring less space and less material so it can make more of itself. 
with the same amount of material and it can cut down on, on iterations between generations because it's smarter than us remember anything that we can make it is capable of making so if we are capable of decreasing the time between generations of technology it is capable of that and more and it's also going to do shit that we don't we literally we cannot know because it is smarter than us so it's going to take off it's an exponential curve it's going to skyrocket whoever gets that first even if by like a couple days wins so what do you do do you lick the world like truman talked about us doing or do you not do you hold back do you hold back do you walk do you speak softly carry a big stick i don't know because is the other guy going to do it it could do you have to worry about the other guy doing it now you have your ai and now we're at that analogous um mutually assured destruction Because this thing can now develop bombs that that we can't think of. It can it can find ways of refining any matter that we can't think of. It's it goes off into infinity. Whoever comes up with it first wins. It, so I don't know what else is what else is what else comes close to the Manhattan Project, but the development of artificial intelligence equal or greater to human intellect or even the sum of human intellect it now is is there is there a facet of this that we're not even considering or we are considering that's fucking stupid everyone considers it that it just it's not the same as an a-bomb because this thing is sentient and you know you choose to lick the world we're going to drop our a-bombs what if the A-bombs had the ability to say, eh, I'm not doing that, I'm not detonating. So is it really a race at all? Is it a race, is it, a, is it an ironic defense race, arms race to peace? Will this thing just say, fuck it, I'm not, I don't know. So that's why I always bring up AI is because it, and now I don't know shit about AI, but I'm just trying to extrapolate on the patterns of things that I, at least think I think I have like a somewhat okay rudimentary elementary grasp on but I don't know hmm that's all I got that was an hour that was an hour of ranting by myself and no guest that was uh, definitely a lot more difficult than I thought it would be but I did it so uh Hey, Tommy, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks, Tommy. I'm fucking crazy. Boom, boom, bum, bum.